In just a couple of moments, I'm going to read you some verses from one of the Psalms as God calls us to worship. But we are here because we want our lives to be engaged with truth. So I want us to think about our lives for a moment. Um, all of us are needy. I don't know how acutely you felt that this past week or how much you tried to ignore the fact that you're really needy, thinking, you, thinking that you could do everything on your own. When we gather for worship, we are, we are being reminded that there's not a single one of us that are self-made, that we all need help, and that God is our helper. He is our God. He is with us through everything. So hear this and be reminded of who God is and know that he is a God that helps people like, like us. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd love to look with you in the book of Genesis, chapter 15. So if you have a copy, you can turn there or you can just look at the bulletin. It has all the verses there I'm going to read. Just to reiterate, before I read Genesis 15, I've got three things I want to remind you of. Uh, number one, if you're visiting with us, we are, as John Paul said, going through the Bible this year. And just to reiterate a couple things. We're trying to think about the Bible in terms of a four-part story, like John Paul said, creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration. The reason for that is because oftentimes we tend to think of the Bible as a two-part story, meaning sin and redemption. And that's actually only half of the story. We need to understand creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration. And here are two reasons for that. Number one, that four-part story makes sense of reality. So unless we have that four-part story, we'll have a really hard time putting together, understanding reality. Number two, the reason why we need that four-part story is this. God continues to point us back to what we were made to be, to who we are in creation. Redemption itself is a restoration of the image of God and our relationship to God that we had in the beginning. Second thing. I want to tell you not only the four-part story, number two is this. Um, last week we talked about Genesis 3 in the fall, and we'll touch on this a little bit more in the future, but we, I want to reiterate for you that we learn that the Bible's divided between Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3 through Revelation 22. So if you understand that the Bible's actually divided that way, it can help you process and interpret all of the Scripture. So if you grew up thinking that the dividing line between the Bible is like the Old Testament and the New Testament, I want to say, eh, that's kind of helpful, but that's not really the, the division in the Scripture. The Scripture is Genesis 1 and 2. The Scripture's division is Genesis 1 and 2, and then Genesis 3 through the end of the Bible, Revelation 22. And here's a third thing. Several of you have emailed me about the Scripture passages we're going to be talking about each week, and John Paul and I have mapped out the year. And so if you are interested in knowing what passages we're going to cover for the year, we are happy to email that to you. We're happy to send that to you. We just ask that you might allow us to have a little bit of flexibility because even though we've laid out scriptures for 52 weeks this year and actually a couple more uh, because of Monday, Thursday and Christmas, anyway, um, 
we'll probably tweak it a little bit. Like for those of you that received the, um, that already, I had Genesis 12 for this week, but I decided to do Genesis 15 because it acts out Genesis 12. But I'm going to talk about Genesis 12 as well. So if you want that, we're happy to give that to you. Just email me, email John Paul. We'll be happy to give you what we're going to try to cover this year. All right, yada, yada. Let's look at this. Genesis 15, listen to this story. I'm going to read all 21 verses. Uh, This is our story, okay? This story about Abram is a story about us. This story about God is a story about our God. Listen to this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for, for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces." On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. All little communities in eastern North Carolina. I'm just kidding. It's always weird for me to read those names. I know that story may have sounded quite bizarre and strange, so let's pray and ask God to help us understand it, shall we? If you would, let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that we can trust it. We pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit afresh to cause our hearts to come alive to this truth which is living here in Genesis 15. So change us, help us to know ourselves better. Help us to see our Savior in clearer ways. Act on us, we pray, that you might get glory and that this week we might live in a way that says, 
we belong to you. All this by grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so far in our series, we've looked at Genesis 1 and 2 together and thought about creation. And last week, we looked at Genesis 3 together and thought about rebellion. And you might remember that the rebellion we talked about was unbelievably deep and absolutely comprehensive. And that means that we all know what it's like to try and run from God. That means we all know what it's like to try to hide from God. That means we all know what it's like to live in a broken world in which there is suffering and grief and death and conflict. Can't we relate to that? Don't you know what it's like to live every day in the brokenness of the world and even feeling your, if you're honest with yourself, having a, a sense of your own brokenness? Well, I want to add to that. When we read Genesis 15 here, can't you tell from the beginning of just the first few verses that we meet a man named Abram who was fearful? Do you notice that? God comes to Abram and says, fear not. Why would God do that? Because he saw that Abram was fearful. So what I'm trying to connect, how I'm trying to connect our lives to the text is this. We all know what it's like to sense that we're broken. We all know what it's like to live in a broken world. We all know what it's like to have to face the reality of death and decay. We all know that's true. And we also know what it's like to be fearful. Here's a real quick summary of what happened with Abram. Abram was afraid that his past might catch up with him. You ever fear that? Abram was also afraid because he didn't know his future. His future seemed absolutely unclear to him. So he was fearful. Can you relate to that? My hunch is you can. And that's why I know some of you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, huh, this four-part story of reality, I'm not sure that sounds so great. I'm not sure that understanding creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration, I'm not sure that sounds all that great. Because it sounds like my life is going to be a mixture of struggle and hope. Sounds like my life is going to be a mixture of, of grief and yet trusting. And maybe to you that doesn't sound that great. So here's the point that I want you to take away from Genesis 15. Here's the point I'm trying to communicate so that you know what this passage is about. Here's the one thing. I want to show you the kind of God that finds us. I want to show you from Genesis 15 the kind of God that finds a people that know what it's like to run from him, hide from him, have to face death, live in fear about whether or not our past is going to catch up with us, or living in fear because it seems like our future is so uncertain and we don't know what's going to happen. If you can connect with any of that in your own experience, then I want to show you the kind of God that finds people like you and me. Two, two things. One, the first one in the first six verses is this. When you can't outrun your fear. And number two, verses 7 through 21, God has to keep his word. So I want to show you the kind of God that finds a people like us. And we're going to do that by the first six verses looking at when you, can't, when you can't outrun your fear. And then God has to keep 
his word. So let's jump in. We're going to spend a short period of time on the first six verses, but they're really important and really powerful. When you can't outrun your fear. So here's a little more detail about why Abram was afraid. Maybe deeper ways you can connect with him. Chapter 14 tells the story of Abram saving his nephew's life. He had to go find his nephew. His nephew's life was in danger. Abram took an army of soldiers and he went to find his nephew and rescue him. He was significantly outnumbered and he won and he rescued his nephew. And here he is in chapter 15, afraid because he's concerned about his past. He's thinking, maybe those that I defeated in battle, maybe they're going to come back and maybe they're going to retaliate. Maybe I'm going to be a marked man for the rest of my life. You see, he was thinking about maybe my past is going to catch up with me. And then he is concerned about his future. And this is what God says to him. If you look back at the text, God says to Abram, don't be afraid because I know you are. Don't be afraid. And then he tells Abram, I am your shield And I literally, the text says, I am your exceedingly great reward. Think about that. In the midst of your fear, in the midst of your anxiety, this is what God says to you. I am your shield. I am your protector. That doesn't always mean that God is going to shield us in the way we think he should or could. It doesn't always mean that things are going to go the way we think they should go. But it means that God's posture toward us, his people, is I am one of protector. And I am your ultimate reward. Meaning, Abram, no matter what kind of reward you thought you could get from conquering these kings and rescuing your nephew, or no matter what type of reward you thought you could get by having an illustrious career, I am your reward. Now, friends, do you think of God in that way towards you? Do you think that God positions himself and postures himself such that he is your shield? And that at the end of everything, you get him? Does it ever dawn on you that the greatest reward that we could ever have is communing and fellowship and life with the living God? That's what God says to Abram. And if you have never thought about God being able to have that kind of posture towards you, I am, I, I'm glad that I got to introduce you to that idea. Because it's exactly what he says to Abram when he can tell that Abraham is full of fear. Now, this is what Abram says after that. Well, God, in essence, that's great. But you gave me all these promises, and I don't have any, I don't have any children I don't have an heir. Eliezer of Damascus is my only heir, and that's like by some kind of weird relationship. God, you made these promises to me, and none of them have come to fruition yet. See, here's the background. In Genesis 12, God tells Abram to leave his homeland, leave his family, and go. Abraham says, where do you want me to go? God says, just go. This is how things are with God. He usually doesn't give us a clear roadmap for anything. He just says, go. So Abram goes. By the way, Genesis Genesis 12 will tell you that he's around 75 years old. 
Genesis 15, he's 85. God said, you're going to have a son. A great nation is going to come from you. I'm going to give you this land, and you are going to bless the entire earth. I am going to bless the entire earth because of you, Abram, and your family, the family that I am going to give you. And Abram has waited 10, at least 10 years. And this is why he's saying to God, God, you said all these things, and none of them have happened. Not one. And oh, by the way, put your life in this. He's 85. Do you think it's easy to have children when you're 85? (laughs) Well, let me ramp this up. He has to wait 10 to 14 more years. You think it's even easier to have children when you're 99? Oh, it's okay, you know, your wife can do that. She's 90. Oh, no, it takes both. Yeah, saying obvious things here. God comes to Abram and says all these things, and Abram says, well, this isn't happening. What, I mean, God, this isn't, this isn't coming to fruition. What, what's going on? And then God, in verse 5, takes Abram outside. I love this. It's as if he's like, Abram, let me show you something. And they walk outside, and he says, Abram, look at the sky. Look up, look up, Abram. Do you see all these stars? I want you, Abram, to start counting the stars. Because if you could number all of them, you would understand how richly I'm going to bless you. This is what I'm going to do, Abram. Look at the stars. And that meant from then on, every time Abram was walking around, he could look up at the stars and think, oh, yeah, here's another reminder of how God is going to bless and what God is going to do. Because Abraham was growing in his understanding that he couldn't accomplish anything that God wanted him to do. He could never acquire anything that God wanted him to acquire on his own. That's why you have this amazing verse 6 in which God says all these things and Abram says, look at verse 6, and Abram believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. You see, this is how anyone, everyone comes to faith. They realize, like Abram, that they have come to the end of themselves. And whatever God says about your life and whatever God says about my life, we come to the point where we realize, I can't do any of this. I can't make this happen. I can't affect anything. So what Abram was doing when he believed is he was saying, I have come to the end of myself. I can't do any of this stuff, but God, I believe and I entrust all that I am to you. And what that means is Abram is saying, God, I am going to receive my identity from you. Whatever you say about me, I am going to believe in that more than I'm going to put stock in what I think I can do for myself. So I'm going to get my entire identity from whatever you say. And God says, now that's righteousness. You see, all of us are always trying to get a righteousness apart from God, a righteousness that we earn. That's why we work so hard. It's why we want to make all this money. It's why we want all of this uh, acceptance and reputation. We want to have acquire legendary status. We want everybody to think well of us because that's where we find our worth. Another way to say worth is righteousness. 
And Abraham is saying, I will never get the righteousness I need by living that way. What I need is a righteousness that I have to receive and that God gives me, that God defines me and who I am. And you see, that's what we do. We believe and trust God is we receive everything from him. We don't have to work for it. Matter of fact, the very definition of believing in God is that we've come to the end of ourselves and we've stopped trying to believe in ourselves. And we've actually entrusted all that we are to God. Got it? So Abram, whenever you can't outrun your fear, it catches up with you and it's paralyzing. It brings you back to make you realize you've gotten to the end of yourself and God has promised so much more and he's the only one that can deliver. All right, second point. God has to keep his word. God has to keep his word. So right after Abram says he believes in God, right after God says, yes, Abram, you entrust your life to me, that is a righteousness that I give you that you could never earn. It's free. It's gracious. Live out of it. Live through it. Praise me for it. Abram then comes right back in verse 8 and he says, all right, God, how do I know that you are going to do what you say you're going to do? How do I know, God, that you are going to be who you say you're going to be? I've learned this because people have had to teach this to me, and I am still learning it. I did, I did not, this idea, these ideas didn't originate with me at all. I've, I've, I've been trying to take them in and learn. Every relationship has two big concerns. The first one is stated for us explicitly in verse 8. In every relationship that you have, in every relationship that I have, I am always wondering, how will you do what you say you're going to do? How will you be who you say you're going to be? How do I know that you're going to do this and be this? We have that in everything in our lives. Let me try to make it as plain as I can to you. Every time you go to the doctor, you're thinking, is this guy going to be who he says he's going to be for me? Is, is, he, is, he, is he going to do what he says he can do? Anytime you think about education and schools and teachers, you're always wondering, are they going to do what I need them to do for my children? How do I know they're going to be who they say they're going to be for my children, right? Let's get even more concrete. My internet provider. Let me tell you, my internet provider, I'm not trusting them too much at all. I am incredibly frustrated with them almost all the time because they say they're going to do this and yet they don't, right? They say they're going to provide this and be this for the Osborne house. And they're not. Every single relationship has this as a primary concern. Every one of them. How are you going to do and be what I think, you, what you said you're going to do and be? Someone's coming to fix my house. You better believe it. I'm wondering, are you gonna, how are you going to do it? How are you going to be the way you're supposed to be? We wrestle with this all the time. It's true in every single relationship that we have. And this is what God says to Abram. God says, Abram, I want you to go get a cow, a ram, and a goat. Throw in a turtle dove and a pigeon. Go get these animals. They need to be three years old. Go get them. And Abram goes and gets the ram, the 
the cow and the goat. Did you notice that? Go back and read it in text. He goes and gets all the animals that he needs. And look at what the text tells you that Abram started doing. He cut up the animals. Now, oh, by the way, when you go back and read it, God didn't tell Abram what to do, did he? He just said, go get these animals. He didn't tell Abram to cut them up. Abram just knew to do that. He knew what was going on. God was coming to Abram to, if you will, work up a contract. You realize that we have these contracts all over the place. Marriage is even a contract. Uh, a, couple, a few weeks ago, I officiated a wedding. Matter of fact, that couple's here this morning. And after they said their vows and, and, they, and they took off, you know, through the middle of everybody out of the sanctuary, they had to come back and we had to sign this contract, this certificate, this marriage license thing, right? It was a contract. It was a way that they said things publicly and then they had to actually write down and sign that it actually happened. And their witnesses had to sign and as the person that officiated the wedding, I had to sign and put all kinds of stuff. In the ancient Near East, this was a contract. This was a way that a relationship was established and codified. This was the way that parties understood each other. And Abram knows that he has to go get these animals, and he knows that he has to cut them in half, and he puts half of them on the left side, and he puts the other half on the right side so that there's a, a clear walking path, a clear way to walk through. Because he was putting together a contract. He was beginning to work up the idea of this relationship, what we call a covenant. Now then the text tells you this, that the sun went down. And then after that it tells you that Abram fell into a deep sleep. And then after that it tells us this, that a thick darkness fell on Abram. And this is what that means. That thick darkness that fell on Abram is a poetic way to say that Abram was completely overwhelmed. The weightiness of the moment, the seriousness of it, absolutely overwhelmed him. Now, have you ever been in those moments? Can you think of any time in your life in which you felt absolutely overwhelmed with the situation of what was going on, the seriousness of the moment? Let me tell you some of the times when I felt overwhelmed. When I was ordained to the gospel ministry, I had to kneel down and a bunch of people put their hands on me and they prayed over me and I was absolutely overwhelmed with the moment, the seriousness, the gravity of it, the, the reality of taking on the responsibility of being a minister. I'm pretty sure that I remember after the, my ordination service was over that I went home and crawled up in the fetal position, just laid in bed. I was so overwhelmed with that moment in my life. I'll try to make this even more perhaps humorous or whatever relative to our more recent example. Many of y'all probably don't know this, but I want to tell you what the first 90 days of the Osbournes moving to eastern North Carolina was like. Within the first five days of moving into our house after we moved here, both of our HVAC units blew. And oh, by the way, we got all kinds of extra inspections because we were nervous about the HVAC unit on the front end. 
So we made sure and we paid for all kinds of extra things because we thought that our HVAC units weren't working properly. So we show up and in less than five days, gone. Then not long after that, Jenny and I are at a, a, some type of social gathering, a celebration, and for some way, somehow, a bat got in our house, and we had to get all of our kids vaccinated for rabies. How about that? Our first visit to the hospital that night was $19,000. And then we had to take them to the health department three more times after that. Now, yes, we have insurance and whatnot. I'm trying to get at the weightiness of the moment. And then not long after that, our house got struck by lightning. And it blew out our dryer and blew out our TV and killed a couple trees. Jenny and I were like, God, are we, do we make some massive mistake here? <laughs> like, let me tell you, you don't move and think about, oh, yeah, well, let's just go ahead and get these rabies vaccinations just in case. <laughs> nobody thinks that way. And nobody, at least, well... The Osbournes don't think that way. And we were wondering, what in the world is going on? We felt overwhelmed. And there are other things that I could add to that. But there was a sense in which we really felt weighed down by everything that was going on. And it was almost paralyzing. Does that make sense? Can you relate to that at all? Have you had times in your life in which you have felt overwhelmed by what happened in your life? And it was almost paralyzing to where you were questioning so many things, wondering, what am I doing? Abram. Abraham received this, this thick darkness in which he felt overwhelmed. And the text tells you that even in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, he looked and he saw a smoking fire pot. And he also saw a flaming torch. Now, let me make sense of those words for you because they're telling you something that's so profound. That is one way that if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find how God is, being how God is described. The smoking firepot and the flaming torch are representative of God's divine presence. So if you fast forward to Exodus with the giving of the Ten Commandments, when the Ten Commandments were codified by God's own finger, they'd already been in existence, but when he finally put it down on tablets, God's presence is described with these phrases right here, smoking pot and a flaming torch. When God's people were wandering around in the wilderness, they were led by a cloud by day and a fire, a pillar of fire by night. What Abram sees in the middle of being overwhelmed by this darkness is God's presence. And it even says in verse 17, if you look closely, it says this, that basically this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch held shape. And, 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 they, and, and this divine presence walked through the pieces. Do you see that in verse 17? Abram is overwhelmed with what's going on and he looks and he sees the divine presence walking through the middle of these pieces. Beloved, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. This is the good news. Yes, it's in verse, verses one through six, but here it is acted out. This, this is the good, this is the message of redemption Take this in. 
God, God, doesn't, God doesn't walk through the pieces and then turn around and look at Abram and say, all right, Abram, your turn. You've got to walk through. God doesn't even go and grab Abram's hand and say, Abram, come with me. We're going to walk through the pieces together. God walks through the pieces for himself, and he walks through the pieces for Abram. You remember we talked about the contract and paralleled it to the marriage license thing? How you ratify in our day and age a marriage license is that I sign it and witnesses sign it and those that are married, those who have just been married sign it. In the ancient Near East, a signature looked like this. We're going to act out the consequences of not keeping our word. So when those animals were split in two, And when God walks through the middle of it, he's saying, if I don't keep up my side, I will be ripped apart. And it's even more glorious. He's saying, Abram, when you don't keep your side, I'll be ripped apart for it. He's saying, Abram, I will do it all. Not only did Abram know that he couldn't father a child and he couldn't purchase any land and he couldn't bless the world through who he is, he knew he couldn't do any of that. By the way, God did too. And God says, Abram, you want to know how I'm going to be, who I say I'm supposed to be, and how I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do? Let me show you right here. I will be ripped apart for you and for me. All that I require, I will take on myself. You see, I mentioned that there are two things that, two concerns for every relationship we have. The first one is explicitly stated in verse 8. How are you going to do and be who you say? Said it over and over. The second one is far more internal and personal. The second concern we all have is this. How in the world am I going to do what I say I'm going to do? How in the world am I going to be who I say I want to be? How am I going to do that? When I got married, I knew Jenny was the woman that I wanted to marry because she was the only one that I ever wanted to say my vows to. But you know what was simultaneously true? As much as I wanted to say my vows to her, I didn't have any realistic expectation that I was going to be able to do all of that perfectly. And I was living in this weird space of, I want to do this, I want to pledge all this to her, and at the same time, I can't can't do this. I cannot be everything that I say I want to be, and I can't do everything I say that I want to do for her. We feel this so deeply, don't we? When you look at your life and your relationships, don't you think about, is this person going to do what they're going to say? But don't you also think about, but what about me? How am I going to do and be what I say I'm going to do and be? Because we all feel that we are not enough. And a shining example of this to get at how, this, how deep this is within us, that we never know we're really enough, we're always convinced we're not really enough, 
What illustrates this for me so powerfully is baptism. Now hang on. Stay with me. For those of you that are new to the church or never been to a church before, I want to tell you about baptism so you can understand why the Christian church baptizes. If you've been in the church before, I want to talk to you about baptism because I'm hoping I can make sense of your experience. And for all of us, I want to talk about baptism because we all need to understand the gospel more deeply. No matter your background, oftentimes this is what we think about baptism. Well, did it take? Was it enough? Am, am I doing it right? And I want you to understand those are all the wrong questions. Those are all the wrong questions. Baptism is about the reality in which we are declaring, I am not enough. And that God has been enough for me. Baptism is not about what I think I am going to do. Baptism is about saying, I'm not enough, but God is. And he has done everything for me and promises to do everything for me. Baptism is not what we're saying, this is what I'm going to do for God. Baptism is when we're saying that we have been done for. Baptism is when we get to declare that God is enough and I am not. And my whole life with him is based on 100% grace. Everything is grace. You see, beloved, this darkness that fell on Abraham, there was another darkness that came hundreds or even a thousand plus years after Genesis 15. And it came to this little spot right outside Jerusalem. It was a day in which Jesus was on the cross. It was the day in which what God showed here and illustrated here in Genesis 15 by walking through the pieces, it was the day in which that covenant was absolutely, fully played out in time and history. Jesus didn't just walk through the pieces. Jesus was torn to pieces. Jesus went to the cross to fulfill everything that God said. And he was ripped up because we have never done what we should do. And we have never been what we should be. And he did it all. And he endured all of the consequences for all of our rebellion and we receive everything that he has done. Beloved, God has to keep his word because we never will. And in Jesus, God has kept his word. But do leave here knowing that what Jesus has done means something for your everyday life. So receive this blessing and try to live as if you actually believe it's true this week. All right? That means bring this into all of your life this week. 
It's not a formality. This is true. This is our lives because of Christ. The Lord your God is your son. That means he is your source of life and hope. He is also your shield. He will protect you and be with you. This week he will be gracious to you, and one day he will crown you with glory. No good thing will he ever withhold from those who walk with him. It's true today, tomorrow, and forever because of Christ. Amen. Go in peace.